Hey guys, and welcome to episode 41 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Here we go. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of the Healing Health Paradigm today. So guys, welcome to episode number 41 of the Vibe Yourself podcast. Hope everyone's well, hope you've been enjoying the show so far and, and even the little daily episodes I've been trying to put in. We're going to be focusing from now on a lot more on gut health. Um, we're going to be doing interviews with everyone still about how it affects the gut because the gut is one well, the, the key aspect when it comes to health. All the organs are important, but once you get the gut working, everything else seems to fall in place and when the gut's not working, it, it causes catastrophic problems um so we're going to be doing a lot of different episodes but we're going to be focusing a lot on how this all impacts the gut so it's going to be something we're going to concentrate a lot on and as if you haven't already guys head on over to www.reviveyourself.co if you're struggling with gut issues and you want to join our free mini course you can do so on our website um which a lot of people have been getting great results from, and we're getting a lot of good emails through actually from people saying they really appreciate that their courses are free, and that's not a problem. We're trying to help as many people as possible because I know, in the, the day, guys, that um, I'm a professional uh, nutritional therapist and holistic health coach, and obviously I do need one-to-one clients, but I know not everyone can afford to work with me, so. I like to give them out as much free content information as possible. It's one of the things. But obviously, um, same as everyone, we need we need to work with people one-to-one. For me to be able to put this information out for free, I, I do need to get uh, have clients, etc. Um, but I learned a long time ago that you, I need to be... I, I want to change the perception of, of everyone um, when it comes to health and regenerating health, and it's not about fighting disease, it's, it's about it's like not oh I've got this or I've got that. It's it's just because of the way we we treat our body. That's what happens, as I said before. Modern uh, g- genetic predisposition plus modern lifestyle equals chronic illness, and I just want people to understand that. That's why I put all this content out for free. Anyway, moving on. Today's episode is with a well is with someone who I've been listening to for a long time on different shows. He's someone I wanted to get on for a long while and that is Chris Masterjohn. Now we're gonna be talking all about cholesterol. Um so we're gonna be talking about is is there really any good or bad cholesterol? We I mean, do you need a cholesterol lowering drug. Does cholesterol actually cause heart disease? Well we'll be talking about all this with Chris and Chris is pretty impressive. I mean he, he earned a PhD in nutritional sciences from the University of Connecticut in the summer of two thousand twelve and then um, from September 2012 to August 2014, he served as a postdoctoral research associate in the Comparative Biosciences Department at the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Illinois. Um, and finally, he served as an assistant professor of health and nutrition sciences at Brooklyn College, part of the city or the University of New York. So... He's covered a lot when it comes to nutrition and health, and we actually talk start with about his journey into into the health um, industry because it wasn't where he actually started and why he got into it. So, 
I mean, we also cover a lot about cholesterol. So anyone who's worrying about cholesterol, if they need a statin, etc., we'll be going through that in today's show. So without further ado, here he is, guys. Here's Chris. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you on the other side. Hey, guys, and welcome to episode 41 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest, Chris Marshall-John, and we'll be talking all about cholesterol. How are you going today, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Um, just actually, one of our uh, last guests had on, Anne uh, Margolis, talking about home and sweet home birth. She was a New Yorker as well. And um, how's, how's New York today? Because uh, it seems a lot of the guys that have getting on recently have all, all been from New York. It's great. It's a little chilly today, but that's how I like it. Yeah, I was saying to Anne as well, um, some of my favorite times of the year, actually, fall and spring. It's just got quite a nice... Uh, summer's always cool, um, but it can get too hot. And I know it can get extremely hot in New York, but... Um, Spring and- oh yeah, well in the city because the the concrete and the pavement just bakes in the sun and and holds on to the it doesn't cool at night very well here because everything retains the heat and off gases it at night. <laughs> so yeah. it's a cool city in New York. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I was there last. I said before I was there last Christmas, and it wasn't as cold as what I I thought it would be. I was quite thankful for that. It was only about minus minus five, minus ten, which was which was good. Where whereabouts in uh, in New York are you? Are you in you in New York, New York? You're I'm in Queens. Queens. Oh, okay. No, I'm in Queens. Yeah. Right. Nice. So it's so, uh, very very close to to Manhattan. Um. So Chris, we've been we've been lucky to get get. I mean, we've been lucky for the audience. They've been lucky to get Chris on. Been trying to get get him on for a little while because uh, he's someone when it comes to well health issues in general he's uh, he's an expert in, in, in a lot of different areas but when it comes to cholesterol he's someone I really wanted to get on the show because heart disease is something well it's the number one biggest killer um, just above cancer and above medical uh, intervention and it's a topic that when it it's a topic that when it's addressed it has many well in the health industry we'll um, talk about how saturated fats are good for your heart. Um, certain when, when topics of statins come up, people are always asking, should I be on them or not? Get a lot of questions about it. So hopefully Chris will be able to answer a lot of these uh, for us today. So um, Chris, I know you said, was this, this for the audience out there? I'm going to do a little bio before the show for you anyway, but um, for the audience out there, you did your undergraduate in, in history, history in the University of Massachusetts. So how did you then get into health coaching and, and becoming sort of a health expert, and especially on the topic of cholesterol? Well, I'd always been interested in health as a hobby back to my teenage years. What happened in college was while I was doing that history degree, I experimented with veganism. The experiment ultimately failed. And I just had a dramatic decline in my health that I was able to reverse through diet. And when I had that experience, I came to a much more profound appreciation of the role of nutrition in real life health changes and decided to pay that forward somehow. So my initial plan was to go to medical school. But then as I was you know, with a history degree, obviously, I have to do a lot of undergraduate science classes to get into medical school. While I was doing that, I decided to go into research instead. So I got my PhD in nutritional sciences. And I went the traditional route of going from PhD to postdoc to uh, full-time tenure-track faculty for a few years. But after about two years of being an assistant professor of health and nutrition sciences in a university, I decided to uh, leave academia and go into business myself. So right now I do a mix of consulting, research, and education, 
all uh, based out of my apartment, actually. <laughs> so, yep. No, it's it's, uh, well, it's very similar to, to what to what to what I do as well. Um, sometimes it's actually working for yourself. So you've been working for yourself now for how long? Uh, Full time since January of this year. Okay, awesome. And you said you did your nutrition and, and science. So nutrition scientist uh, was it in biochemical and um, molecular nutrition? Was that correct? Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, ultimately, there's no specialty that's written into my uh, diploma, but uh, I think it's fair to say that I focused on that branch of things, more or less. Yeah. Um, anyone who's come across Chris knows that um, he can get very technical. Um, and for a lot of people, um, it can be the information put out can be like, oh my God, um, he can, can go over people's heads. So, what we're going to try and do today, and with your help, Chris, we're going to try and make it as as info friendly as possible. Um, and if it does get a bit a bit confusing, then then I'll just try and uh, lay it out in, in, in layman's terms as best I can. But I've heard you talk before, Chris, um, and I think the the first time you when you said you come across um, your own health issues, the first person or people that you seem to look into and follow uh, to get your own health right was Weston Price. Is this correct? That's correct. Yeah. And so what was it about his work, those out there, our audience will know Weston, Dr. Weston Price and his work. What was it about his work that differed from what you'd heard? And what was it that, that you did that, that allowed you to to your health to um, most of you to get, regain your health and get and get your health back because I know you said before I've heard you speak about you used to suffer with anxiety um, and I think you had a few dental issues is this, is this right? Yeah I never had an expectation that the anxiety would be remedied by diet what happened was the dental issues drove me to Weston Price's work so I went to a dentist while I was vegan or while I was on the cusp of transitioning out of veganism, uh, but I had I was still mostly vegan and I had been vegan for the preceding year. And I found that I had over a dozen cavities and needed two root canals in this one single session. So mm-hmm. I had been I you know, I had probably had six or seven cavities when I was a kid and that dampened down over time. Maybe I had one or two when I was a teenager. So I'd always been cavity prone, but I had never, ever, ever had that anywhere, anything like that. I've never, I don't think I've ever had more than two cavities discovered in a session and that would be considered a lot up to that time. So to have over a dozen cavities in a single session and need two root canals, which I'd never needed before, was just a dramatic worsening of my predisposition to tooth decay. And it so happened that while I was, and this was while I was in, uh, I was in my fourth out of five years undergrad, I was working in the dining hall on campus and my boss gave me a pamphlet about raw milk that he got from a farm that that he bought raw milk from and that pamphlet talked about Weston Price's research and Weston Price was I consider him a pioneer in nutritional anthropology and to have and his I think his work has much more significance than just tooth decay but he was by trade a dentist and a dental researcher so that was the centrality of his focus and so naturally his pamphlet talked about how he studied these non-modernized people who had immunity to tooth decay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, immunity to tooth decay? Like, I want in on that. 
So I just read Weston Price's book because I thought I could cure my tooth decay. It then happened by accident with zero expectation of this happening that all of my anxiety disorders basically disappeared. And it was really like it had like it was months after the anxiety disorders disappeared that I realized that they disappeared. I actually forgot that I had them. So I I realized at one moment when I was working in the dining hall again and I watched this guy pick up a stack of plates to take one from the middle and I looked at the guy with this weird look and I'm like, what the hell is that guy doing in my head? And I, I walked away and about 30 seconds later, it suddenly struck me that two or three months before that, I always did that every time I took the plate because I was afraid what might be on the top of the <laughs> of the of the top plate. And I was much worse than that. I would often spend 20 minutes trying to find a glass to drink out of that I considered clean enough. And all of that had disappeared, but but I didn't remember that I was doing that a couple months before until I saw that guy do it. So it was really an unexpected total shocker that diet could have such a profound influence on mental health. Weston Price did kind of allude to that in his book, but it wasn't anywhere near his central focus. And I had no expectation of that happening. So that gave me you know, going into it for tooth decay and coming out of it with revolutionized mental health gave me a very deep appreciation of the effect of nutrition that I would never have had without that experience. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, I think Paul Check calls it being the wounded, the wounded doctor yourself. That it's something that you've got, gone through, and and it's it's one of the things that we say, uh, like especially in the, in, the, in the natural health world, it's you, when you heal anything, well. You can't just heal one thing. Once you start healing one thing, the body takes over and it heals everything. You know, once you start eating right, get, getting your life in, in check, everything everything takes care of itself. And that's um, it's, it's it's very what you just said is very common that people forget. Oh my god, that used to be me, or I used to have that, and because they they forget what it used to be like because it becomes being being healthy becomes their new normal, and they just forget. Um, so it's it's a uh, that's quite a. Um, a good little, yeah, a good little story you got, you got there to share. Because people, I reckon a lot of people will actually identify with that. Oh my god, yeah, I remember when I used to do that, because it's it's what happens once you start to get healthy. It just becomes your new, new your new way of life. Um, so with Western Price um, talking about obviously his research, he was, he was a dentist. He went and studied like the Maasai tribes, Inuits, and he found that they had a very high fat diet. Um, um, and today, I mean, even today, people will still associate high fat diets, uh, high saturated fat diets with, with heart disease, um, even though a lot of research goes to the contrary. Um, what was it? What was, I mean, you, you studied yourself. Um, was that a, a completely different approach to what you were doing before? Was it Was it? Was it like a hundred, was it flipped on its head 180 degrees? Um well, Weston Price wasn't really concerned with fat so much as he was concerned with fat-soluble vitamins. Mm-hmm. And so he studied groups all over the world and found a lot of different traditional diets. But he identified the common theme that although fat-soluble vitamins are not distributed very widely in the food supply because there's really a, a handful of specific foods that are rich in them, all of the groups that he studied, no matter where they were across the globe, no matter what the proportion of plant and animal foods was in their diet, 
had specific explicit cultural conventions around obtaining foods that were high in fat soluble vitamins. Now, those groups they didn't know what fat soluble vitamins were, but but they knew that certain foods were worth going out of their way to obtain even when it required a lot of work to get them because they couldn't be healthy without them. And Price identified these as four categories. In one category, he put dairy and egg yolks. In another category, he put the animal life of the sea, so fish and shellfish. In another category, he put organ meats. And in a fourth category, he put insects. So all of the groups he studied went out of their way to obtain at least one of those things and maybe several of them. Probably none of them went out of their way to obtain all four of them. And there are groups like the Inuit who ate a very high-fat diet and fell into that category. There were other groups that ate – even the Maasai ate a much lower-fat diet than the Inuit because although they – although they specialized in producing meat and milk and and blood from their own cattle, they lived surrounded by other tribes that they would trade with for starches and other foods like that. Uh, but, you know, the Maasai fell into that category as well. So that was completely op- 180 opposite from what I was doing because I was a vegan. Mm-hmm. And, um, but... So there were there were kind of two things that struck me about that. One was that as a vegan, I thought I was eating a more nutrient dense diet because I honestly, you know, I didn't know a lot about nutrition. And I think if you don't know a lot about nutrition, you just hear buzzwords and you hear basic intuitive concepts. So I associated milk with calcium. I associated meat with protein. I associated fruits and vegetables with vitamins. I never, you know, it never even occurred to me that there were vitamins in meat that you couldn't get in plant foods like vitamin B12, for example. Even though that's a basic nutrition fact, you don't grow up with that kind of knowledge. You know, you grow up with just kind of the the buzz, the the concepts that come out of public health campaigns like milk, it does a yeah, body good. Why? Yeah, has calcium. Milk's good for right? your bones sort of thing. So, right, yeah. right. So, so I... You know, the idea that there were that there were vitamins that you needed to get from animal foods what was nowhere in my conceptual framework at that point. And so that was brand new to me. And be and it was a shocker as a vegan because once again, you know, I thought veganism was more nutrient dense. And here I'm reading here are these vitamins that I'm not getting at all because I'm a vegan. But the other thing was even even when I was not a vegan or even all my omnivorous friends and family and associates, they weren't focusing on shellfish. They weren't focusing on organ meats. None of them were intentionally eating insects. So what Price was really doing was not just showing me the errors of veganism, but he was also showing me the, the less severe errors of common omnivory, which is the animal foods that we're eating aren't nutrient dense enough because we're just eating the boneless, skinless chicken breast and we're not eating the liver and we're often not eating the egg yolks and we maybe are eating the drinking milk, but it's low fat milk. And we are, you know, maybe eating some fish, but not much and not shellfish. So it really it really stepped up nutrition to a new standard that I had never had even before veganism. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
Well, with some of the things you said there is that when you're talking about what we're going to go into, which is cholesterol, when you're talking about those foods there, things like, um, as we say, mother's milk, for example, it's the highest cholesterol food on earth, pretty sure. Then you can at shellfish, high in cholesterol. Um, in the UK, um, I think we're the biggest exporters of offal meat in the world. Um, and it's just something that we don't like, like to eat. I mean, we have liver, but when it comes to heart, uh, lungs, things like that, we, we just don't eat it. Whereas a lot of different countries in the world do. And I think the people are, as you mentioned there, there's certain nutrients you get in, the, in these, 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 um, these foods that you can't get anywhere else. But it's something that I always try to, t- to tell people um, and to get them to try different things. Because, well, first of all, if a lot of these foods, a lot of people have about 12 foods in rotation. They don't step outside of that. So when you start introducing different foods, it, it, obviously the body starts to produce different different reactions, different enzymes, which is great. But also, it just gets it's getting them a whole a whole different um, complex of vitamins, nutrients in their body, which is which is great. Um, so with when it comes when it comes to that, Chris, because something that we always want to move move on to because it's a big big thing when it comes to cholesterol now do we have to be scared of saturated fat chris i mean you see adverts on tv um still talking about margarine still talking about less lowering drinks um uh, who say high cholesterol is a very a very is a risk factor and saturated fat is a risk factor for coronary heart disease um is this true um and if so what can we do about it? Well, I think the upside is a lot of people don't watch TV commercials anymore. I don't watch TV at all, and I think people who do are probably staring at their phone or something during the commercials and checking Facebook. But uh, anyway, I I think that um, you shouldn't be scared of any natural foods, and you probably shouldn't be scared of food in general. It's It's just not a good motivator for your choices. So I think there are reasons that some people should moderate their saturated fat, but for the most part, I think it's I think it's largely benign in its role. So we can make our own saturated fats. There's not a dietary essentiality of saturated fats. The problem, though, is that in the foods that have saturated fat or cholesterol, you're getting that from a profile of many other nutrients. So if you're a strict saturated fat, you're going to eat less meat, you're going to eat less, you're going to eat fewer egg yolks. Especially if you're restricting cholesterol, you're going to eat fewer egg yolks. And as you do that, you restrict the supply of a lot of vitamins and minerals that are essential, and I think that's where you get into the real trouble. Okay. So when when you yeah, so there's certain foods obviously they're going to be uh dense in saturated fats and those, and those nutrients um, so when people people are talking about these different different diets and what you go on I mean people are very very scared when it comes to cholesterol when it comes to cholesterol people for example they walk into their, their doctors and they get, told, they get told they get high cholesterol and they get prescribed a statin now over in the US I think you have different um, different how I say it, guidelines for cholesterol. I mean, over here we get told that our cholesterol should be below five, um, and that's five mmol, which stands for milli um, millimoles per liter of blood. Are you familiar with that at all, Chris? Yeah, I am. But I mean, I 
I'm familiar with millimolar. I, I can't. I don't know the calcul the interconversions off the top of my head, though. Okay, no worries. Um, so it's it, well, it's ba- basically a lot of people I see who come who ask questions that they're level five now. But just in general, if I was to say to you, is when people when when they get told this, your your level should be below five or could be five hundred, whatever whatever it is in terms of a number. Is that is are those guidelines always? I mean, are there, are those guidelines people should be should be scared of? Oh my god, my cholesterol is above five. I mean, aren't we all biochemically different and individual? So shouldn't that all be taken with a, a pinch of salt? So I just plugged this into an online uh, calculator, mm-hmm. and if that online calculator is correct, five millimoles per liter is 193 milligrams per deciliter, which is what we use in the U.S. The cutoff in the U.S. is usually 200, and so it, it, it's probably the case that the cutoff is almost the same, but they're rounding it off to make it an easy to remember round number. So it's easy to remember five, and it's easy to remember 200. So I think that's that's probably uh, why why there's a slight discrepancy. Anyway, um, I, I think uh, there's. Uh, you have to be careful here because it's easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. So on the one hand, I believe that the mainstream consensus view that high cholesterol levels are the cause of heart disease are wrong. But I also believe that it would be gravely uh, – it would be a, a serious error to just ignore – high blood lipids. Mm-hmm. I also think that the the ranges that are that are concerning are a little bit too narrow. So if you look at like take the Weston Price approach. Weston Price didn't study people's blood lipids, but people later took Weston Price's approach of studying people who don't have a disease who are isolated from modern society to see what their blood lipids are. And if you look at the Pacific Islands, you find across the spectrum of high-fat, low-carbohydrate diets and high-carbohydrate, low-fat diets, when people were consuming their traditional diet, they did not have heart disease. And what you find is that the main variable in cholesterol levels on those islands is driven by how much carbohydrate versus how much coconut fat people eat. So the main source of fat in all of these diets is coconut, on an island like Catava, one of the Pacific islands, they happen to eat less coconut than on Tokelau, another Pacific island, and more starchy tubers and fruits. On Tokelau, they do the opposite. And so what you have is on Catava, the total fat in the diet is only 20% of calories, which is really low. But even their saturated fat is 17% of of total calories, which is 50% greater than the average in the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the average in the UK is, but it's I'm, it's probably fairly similar to the US, I'm imagining. And, and so their saturated fat is high because all their fat comes from coconut, even though their total fat is low. But on Tokelau, their total fat is really high. It's over 50% of calories, but it's almost all saturated fat because it comes from coconut. So their total, their saturated fat is over 50% of their total calories, which is the highest ever recorded in the world, which is over five times or over four to, four to five times what people in the U.S. and U.K. are eating, and, um, and, and they're free of heart disease as well. But 
Now, if you look at their blood lipids, blood lipids are higher on Tokelau than they are on Catawba, and that's very clearly rooted in the fact that on Tokelau, they're eating less carbohydrate, more total fat, and more saturated fat. So, But the thing is, if you look at people on Tokelau, the average cholesterol level for a male doesn't really get higher than 220 in any age range. For women in the postmenopausal period or the presumably postmenopausal period based on age, it does peak up a little bit higher up to about 250 or so. And in any of these groups during pregnancy, the blood lipids rise as well. But but like let's take a, a man as our first example. 220 is not that much higher than 200. But if 220 can be associated with complete freedom from heart disease – in the context of a traditional diet and lifestyle and a diet rich in saturated fat, then it's a bit bizarre to say, well, if you're 205, you should be on a statin. Right. And and similarly with, with women, I think for younger women, it's very similar to men. But if you're in the postmenopausal period or you're pregnant, I would see, you know, rising up to 250 as, as not necessarily harmful uh, because we can trace that back to the blood lipids on Tokelau as an example. Now, we have to be real careful here because people in the United States or the UK don't have the same genetics as the Pacific Islands. They don't have the same diet as the Pacific Islands. They don't have the same lifestyle as the Pacific Islands. And the reason that their blood lipids are high might not be the same as on the Pacific Islands. So we also can't be ideological and say just because someone doesn't have heart disease on Tokelau at 220 means you will not get heart disease at 220. So I think I I think it's important to appreciate that the high cholesterol level isn't an intrinsic driver of the risk of heart disease, but at the same time to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, I think we also have to consider, well, why is it's a it's an absolutely true fact that the higher your cholesterol is in the United States or the UK, the greater your probability of having a f- heart disease in the future is. That's been shown over dozens of thousands of people in dozens of prospective studies. Prospective study means you measure the cholesterol level and then you wait and see what happens later. And and that's just a true fact. So why is that true? Well, Part of the reason that you can have high blood lipids, and in fact, the, the dominant reason for most people in the U.S. and U.K. to have high blood lipids is that you're ter- you're, the degree to which you're clearing the cholesterol from the blood is decreased. That's not a good thing because when that happens, there's a lot of other things in the lipoproteins, which are the vehicles that the cholesterol travels in in the blood, there's a lot of other things there. So, so Chris, all your so, fats. All- so Chris, yeah, go ahead. I just, I just, I just want to do this just so people, just so people understand. So this is when you're talking about. You said the lipoprotein. So this is where people uh, they talk about HDL and LDL. Okay, uh, is this correct? Yeah. So you get your higher density lipoproteins, your lower density lipoproteins, and people always talk about HDL being the good. Uh, LDL being the bad, just just so people, just before we go into that, just because people might people might um, think, oh, well, what's this? Um, for the audience out there, these aren't actually cholesterol, are they? As you said before, they are the vehicles which deliver the cholesterol. Is this correct? That's right. Yeah. So, yep. So so in these lipoproteins, 
you are not just carrying cholesterol, you're also carrying all your fat-soluble vitamins, you're carrying other fat-soluble things that you make in the body that needs, need to go from one place to another. So if you, have, if you are not taking those up into your cells and that's the reason that they're rising in the blood, then you're not delivering the nutrients to your tissues. That's not a good thing. But also, the longer they spend in the blood, the more likely they are to get damaged. And all the research on what actually causes heart disease to develop shows that those lipoproteins getting damaged is actually what contributes to heart disease. So although having more cholesterol in the blood is not going to drive heart disease, having more cholesterol in your blood may be an indication that your that your metabolism of these lipoproteins is slowing. And if that's the case, you want to fix that because the slowing of that metabolism does contribute to heart disease and it does compromise your health in other ways. And so when I look at blood cholesterol levels, I try to figure out whether that's the case. And uh, some signs are if your total cholesterol is elevated, and so you just mentioned the difference between LDL and HDL, one thing that happens when your metabolism of these lipoproteins slows is that the cholesterol in the LDL increases and the cholesterol in the HDL decreases. That's, that is, a, if you see, so an easy way to, to get, get a sense whether that's happening is you just take the total cholesterol and you divide it by the HDL cholesterol, and you look at the ratio. A ratio of around three, maybe three to four, but I think it's closer to three and below, is, is associated with the lowest risk of heart disease, and it also is an indication that your cholesterol metabolism is pretty fast. So even if your cholesterol is a little bit on the high range, like let's say someone has 220 or 230 or 240, and their total to HDL cholesterol ratio is three, that's a sign that the reason that their cholesterol is a little on the high end is probably not because their metabolism of those lipoproteins is slowing, and I would consider that fairly low risk. But if you look at some, if you look at, let's say you have a male who has 250 for total cholesterol and their total to HDL cholesterol ratio is seven, then uh, that that guy is probably in some tough shape because first of all, his total cholesterol is significantly higher than even what you would find in males on Tokelau who have the highest blood cholesterol levels out of any uh, any indigenous population studied and who eat the most saturated fat in the entire world. Second of all, a ratio of seven indicates that his metabolism of those particles is really slow. And third of all, I bet you anything that if you measured his testosterone, it's probably low because one of the things you do with cholesterol when you take it into cells is you convert it to other good things like sex hormones. And if your metabolism of cholesterol is that slow, you're probably slowing down your production of sex hormones too. Uh, so all of these, that's what I mean by not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You don't want to be afraid of cholesterol and you don't want to assume that you need to be on a statin because it's just out of the range. But that doesn't mean that you should ignore it and not use it to try to understand what's going on in a person's body and how can you improve their health. Yeah, 100%. And this is, this is a few things that you got. This is, a, this is why you can go so many different ways with this, Chris. So you mentioned there, well, because the, the general consensus or say public opinion would be 
that fat blocks arteries um, and, it, and, and, and that fat comes from eating saturated fat foods um, which raises your cholesterol which then blocks your arteries so for people out there can you just explain because you mentioned as well there about sex hormones which I want to get into later on and I also want to talk about polyunsaturated fats and statins and, and everything but you just mentioned something there so I want to touch on it for people out there what's the difference between um, have, eating saturated fat and um, as you said having uh, the profile in your blood like uh, lipids in your blood, blood cholesterol um Blood cholesterol versus cholesterol you're eating from your diet. How how does that differ? Because they, they don't they're not intrinsic to each other, are they? Don't one doesn't affect the other intrinsically. Sure, and eating saturated fat in your diet and eating cholesterol in your diet is also not the same thing. So if you take the Pacific Island diets, they're eating a lot of coconut. There's zero cholesterol in coconut oil because cholesterol is only found in animal foods. So you're eating cholesterol from foods like egg yolks, foods like liver to a lesser extent other organ meats, to a lesser, even lesser extent uh, dairy fat and things like that, a- animal fats in general, tallow, like any of those meat, all those things are going to have some cholesterol. Uh, but saturated fat and cholesterol in the diet are separable because you do have some foods like beef that are ha- fairly high in cholesterol and fairly high in saturated fat, uh, but they're not perfectly correlated. Even, even as you go from beef to egg yolks, you have less saturated fat in the egg yolk and you have way more cholesterol. And then you go to something like coconut, you have the highest saturated food on the planet and zero cholesterol. So those are two totally different things and, and they need to be discussed separately. Now, the, the question then becomes, does eating cholesterol impact your blood cholesterol? And then a totally, completely separate question is, does eating saturated fat impact your blood cholesterol? Well, Eating cholesterol does not necessarily impact your cholesterol, but it might, depending on who you are. The reason that it might not, and actually this is the most common thing, so about two-thirds of people will experience practically no or no change at all in their blood cholesterol in response to eating three or four egg yolks a day, and which, which is a lot of cholesterol. And the reason is that your body has what's called homeostasis. Homeostasis is a concept in biology that says when, when you want a stable level of something and something provokes a change in that system, you respond with changes that bring it back to that stable level. So in cholesterol homeostasis, when you input cholesterol into the system and your body wants a stable level of cholesterol – it reacts with things that lower the level of cholesterol back to normal. So you need about two grams of, that's 2,000 milligrams of cholesterol a day to be made in your body. And so even if you eat three or four egg yolks, maybe you're getting like 12, maybe you're getting 50 or 60% of that. Your body has plenty of room to work with to lower its own synthesis of cholesterol and still be synthesizing more cholesterol than you ate and still have everything be normal levels. However, there are genetic differences between people in how much cholesterol you absorb from your food, how tightly that homeostatic process is regulated and various things like that. And as a result, about two-thirds of people who eat three or four egg yolks a day will not experience any significant rise in their blood lipids, but about a third of people will 
experience an increase in LDL cholesterol and HDL cholesterol in roughly the same proportions so that the ratio doesn't change. And then there's about 1% of people who will have a spike in LDL cholesterol and not HDL cholesterol. So um, it really depends on the, on the person how those changes occur. Now, saturated fat is a completely separate question. In general, it does depend on what you're substituting it for. So to substitute saturated fat for carbohydrate is different than to substitute saturated fat for polyunsaturated fat or monounsaturated fat. And substituting saturated fat for monounsaturated fat is probably going to have the, the smallest difference out of any in total cholesterol levels. Uh, but sat, substituting saturated fat for carbohydrate will raise your cholesterol levels. Substituting saturated fat for polyunsaturated fat will, will raise them even further. Uh, and you can see this clearly in, for example, the Pacific Islands. As you go from catava, which is very high carbohydrate, low fat, where 20% fat all coming from coconut, to tokelau, you, which is over 50% of the diet coming from saturated fat from coconut, you see cholesterol levels rise. In fact, there's another island that was studied, Puka Puka, which is intermediate in the in the amount of coconut in the diet between those those other two islands, and their blood lipids are right smack in the middle of those other two islands. So it's it's definitely the case that eating more saturated fat relative to most other changes that you could make in the diet is going to raise your cholesterol, but that doesn't mean that it's going to cause heart disease. So I think in most cases, for most people, trying to reduce saturated fat in their diet is not anywhere near the first step I'd do to try to reduce blood lipids. But, you know, it's it's in there. It will have an effect. And and I think it, you know, it it should be considered for some people whose blood lipids are way out of whack. So a very small proportion of people have blood lipids in excess of 300 for total cholesterol. Um, let's see that in millimoles per liter, 300 is 7.758. So let's say 7.8. Uh, so if you're in the range of seven, eight, nine millimoles per liter or 300 and plus milligrams per deciliter, you probably got serious problems and you should be doing something about that. So in someone like that, I would not be afraid to say maybe you should reduce the saturated fat in your diet. But Chris, here's the, here's the thing I'm going to put out there. If those people um, who are at 300 or 7, as we, as we said, um, MMOL, were, were eating a diet that is high in saturated fat, um, sorry, it's high in saturated fat, but it's it's coming from you said the land. It's 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 all non-GMO. It's it's organic. It's, it's it is what it is. I doubt their cholesterol would be up there. Now this is what we talk about. Um, so that's when, true, unless that's true. But they could have a genetic disorder oh, yeah, okay, or in okay, blood okay. lipid metabolism where they could have a thyroid problem. Yeah. Okay. If, if they got a, a genetic um, predisposition or a genetic disorder or a thyroid issue, yeah. Um, I think um, one of the only ones when you talk about statin, it's uh, is it familiar hypertension. I'm trying to think. There's one that people will say stat, statins is, is, is okay for. I remember uh, doing some research on it. But in general, I'm I'm saying it's that having a diet that's uh, rich in saturated fats, but quality fats. We're not talking about 
fats that have come from from animals which have been been fed the whole host of things that we know are not right sawdust pellets that have been treated um, have been treated well haven't been chewing as you, as you know i think it's um the, the levels of vitamins are like 500 percent uh higher in in grass-fed organically raised cows than they are in, in one from a cafe for example don't don't you think that you talk about reducing saturated fat as you said it would be one of the things but the rest of it would be looking at all the other diet and lifestyle factors first. Yeah, I I completely agree with you that someone who who doesn't fall into the category of a thyroid disorder or genetic disorder is highly unlikely to have cholesterol levels over three hundred over seven millimoles per liter. Um, and 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 right right exactly. Well, I mean even 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 if not, I mean yeah. someone someone eating a pretty crappy diet. Is not going to have their blood lipids spike that high from putting butter on their toast. Yeah. So, so I, I think you know in those cases, I changing the saturated fat in the diet would probably be the fifth or sixth thing that I looked at after many other attempts failed. If if in fact there is some kind of of problem regulating blood lipids, um, but yeah, I mean, mo- I just, I did, I don't think it's something that most people need to be concerned about in most cases, but you know, you can also, you also could just, uh, could just overwhelm the system, right? So, uh, do, do people eat bullet, drink bulletproof coffee in the UK? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's okay. a dry well, yeah. <laughs> right. So like, so like, let's say that you went on a bulletproof coffee fast where you just ate six meals a day that only had bulletproof coffee and you got your entire caloric intake from butter and coconut oil or something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I could see your blood lipids raising kind of high on that. So, so I mean like, but you know, with a little common sense emulating traditional diets, you really shouldn't see your blood lipids raising like that, no matter how much saturated fat you're eating. Well, it's a question I'm, I'm going to put to you at the end, but I get, I get it quite a lot, and it's something that it's it's something that we, people always say, well, I've been told these statins, what can I do? I don't want to go on them. And we'll, we'll get to that at the end, but it's something that, as I said, um, it's basically falls into the category of a lot of the way that you should be living anyway, and when it comes to that, we, we'll go through it. But, Chris, just because um, after the... People know Ansel, Ansel Keys here, the study about how uh, saturated fats and cholesterol are bad for you. Um, and there's another study called the Trina study come out um, talking about it as well. I, want to, I know you've, you've written an article all, of, all about that, sort of debunking them. Um, the, the difference between... So because saturated fats for a long time, they got bad press. Fat is bad for you. You know, your eggs, you can't eat your egg yolk, it's bad for you. Uh, even though the egg, egg, an egg white on its own is one of the most allergenic foods on the planet. Um, so they're talking about egg yolks being bad for you, butter's bad for you, this, that, the other. Um, and they started to introduce polyunsaturated fats and, and oils, etc. Now, what are your thoughts on these polyunsaturated fats and oils? Um, are they good for you or are they bad for you and will they make you worse or better? So polyunsaturated fats will be found in natural foods, even of animal origin, in small amounts. Mm -hmm. But traditional diets tended to have really low levels of polyunsaturated fat. So if you look at diets like the Maasai we talked about before, you look at diets like the Pacific Islands like we were talking about, polyunsaturated fat in most of those diets, uh, maybe the Inuit is an exception because of the high marine oil intake, but polyunsaturated fats in most populations would be 
around 2 to 4% of calories, which is fairly low. And you're going to go way higher than that if you start eating 30 to 40% of your diet as fat coming mostly from vegetable oils made from soybean oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, corn oil, mm-hmm. cottonseed oil, any of those things. And the polyunsaturated fats in those oils are very vulnerable to a form of damage that we call oxidative damage. I think any for people who don't have a chemistry background or a biology background, I think the easiest way to conceive of this is like a biological form of rust. So, you know, you leave your bicycle out in the rain, you're going to notice that it starts to get damaged from rust. Well, same thing if and actually to, to make to make this even more intuitive, if you took a bottle of vegetable oil and you left it open on your counter for a few months, you'd notice that it would stink real bad. Yeah. And that's because it that's went rancid. Yeah. Yep. And that's and that's the process of oxidative damage happening outside your body. But inside your body, that process of oxidative damage is actually accelerated because your metabolism exposes the fats to a lot of energy and oxygen and oxygen metabolites that will accelerate that process over and above the the how that would occur if you were leaving it out on your counter and you also have a lot of protective factors your body you know our bodies are designed to try to protect against that that damage and that that's the main function of antioxidants that we get in the diet and a lot of biochemical pathways inside our bodies but those protective mechanisms aren't perfect. So as your polyunsaturated fat intake increases, you become more and more damaged, uh, more and more vulnerable to that biological form of rust happening inside your body, which contributes to aging, which contributes to heart disease, which contributes to cancer, which contributes to most degenerative diseases. And in fact, the if you look at the lipoprotein that carries cholesterol and you look at what happens as it contributes to atherosclerosis, which is the hardening of the arteries that we call heart disease, what's actually happening is the polyunsaturated fats in the membrane of that particle are suffering oxidative damage. So it's actually the oxidative damage of those polyunsaturated fats that drives heart disease. So regardless of what they do to your blood levels of cholesterol, you want to be real careful of them. And it gets even worse when you introduce other things that enhance oxidative stress. So exposure to environmental toxins enhances oxidative stress, Uh, oxidative stress being the process that leads to oxidative damage. So smoking enhances oxidative stress. A A lot of different things that some of which are under our control, like smoking and some of which aren't like environmental toxins or just aging. Oxidative stress gets worse as we age. As all these factors combine, those polyunsaturated fats become more and more dangerous and they accumulate in your body over years and they take years for their levels to fully decline as well. So if, if you're eating polyunsaturated fats right now, maybe it's not doing you any harm, but it might be setting the foundation for Later, when you age, later when you're not sleeping as well, later when you get sick, later when you move into a place that's more polluted, you know, any of those factors can then later ca- take what you've been doing for years by consuming vegetable oils and kind of activate that damage or, or make or, you know, take the foundation and make it actually progress into something pretty harmful to your body. 
100%. And it's it's just so just for people out there, why were these why were these promoted as alternative healthy fats compared to what's traditionally been used? What was what was the thinking behind it? They lower cholesterol. Mm-hmm. And in your opinion, is cholesterol vital to health and vitality? Yes. Mm-hmm. And why would that be? Uh, well, if you want to see if you want to see a severe case that really illustrates how impactful it is, you could look at Smith-Lumley-Oppitt syndrome, which is a genetic disorder where you can't synthesize enough cholesterol. And that gives you a really insightful picture into all the things that cholesterol does. So what happens is their digestion fails. They can't absorb fats in their diet. That's because cholesterol is made into bile acids. They have hormonal problems. That's because cholesterol is made into all the steroid hormones that regulate your – that include the sex hormones but also hormones that regulate your blood pressure and your blood sugar and your water balance. They have neurological problems that include uh, form, various forms of retardation, failure to thrive, uh, visual problems. Why? Because – Cholesterol is, you know, if you look at the brain, the brain's 2% of your body weight has about a quarter of your body's cholesterol. So the brain is incredibly enriched in cholesterol. Turns out cholesterol is an important, uh, important for the coatings of neurons. And in fact, the supply of cholesterol in the brain is the limiting factor for forming synapses, which are the connections between neurons that form the basis of learning and memory and and cognitive performance. So cholesterol is doing all kinds of things that are absolutely essential to life and health. And actually, if you look at Smith-Lumley-Oppitt syndrome, the people, the, the, the incidence of that is really low in the population. And it's not because the genetics are uncommon. About one to three percent of the population carries the genes for that. And so if, if, Two people who each have that gene. So let's say in the UK, probably 1% of women and 1% of men carry that gene. If that 1% mates with that 1%, they produce the, the genetics, the two copies of the defective gene that will lead to Smith-Lumley-Oppitt syndrome. But the incidence of, of that syndrome is way less than what you would expect from 1% mating with 1%. And that's because... Almost every case of conception never makes it to term. And so almost all of the all of the embryos or fetuses that have this syndrome die and never be never are never born. And so that shows you how essential cholesterol is just to be alive. Yeah. I know I uh, I sort of set you up there, but that was the whole point. <laughs> Um, because I wanted you to get just to understand because that's so important for people to understand. People, cholesterol gets a, a bad rep and it's so important for our health. As you mentioned earlier, it's so important that if you're not eating enough, your body starts to make to make it itself. Um, and as you said, our brain is cholesterol. I mean, Dr. Colwell, um, if you know Dr. Colwell, have you heard of him before, Chris? I'm not sure. Okay, he he, he talks about, um, Dr. Leonard Colwell, he talks about People, he says, this is uh, true, but he says a lot of people, they don't die because they've got too much cholesterol, they die because they haven't got enough um, because it's in their body, can't, as you said, produce all those reactions that it goes through, uh, especially the sex hormones. It's a precursor to every sex hormone, which is incredibly important. Um, so when, 
So I wanted to move on to the statins there because that was a, a, a brilliant answer. I've actually got that Smith Lemley opiate syndrome up. I'll be looking into that myself. It's the first time I've heard of that syndrome. Um, so really interesting. Um, when it comes to people ha- taking statins, Chris, I mean, around this is this is just a little bit of research. I put a post out there the other day. So at the moment, around 100 million people are taking statins. Um, and they've been shown, research has shown that they, they damage the heart, they block the production of ni- uh, vital nutrients, um, uh, they inhibit vitamin K2 and selenium, they inhibit the heart's ability to strengthen after exercise, they cause type 2 diabetes, which increases the risk of heart disease. Um, what are your thoughts on them? Who should be using them, um, if anyone? Well, I think the big problem with statins is twofold. So first of all, the reference ranges for cholesterol levels are too narrow and that leads to people having problems fixed you don't necessarily have a problem but more to the point i think the second problem with them is the real big one which is they're used as a first line of defense Mm -hmm. and what people should be doing if their blood lipids are out of the range is first looking at you know what what are the ratios how likely is this a problem does anything need to be done and if so the answer to that should be first to look at diet and lifestyle factors that can help improve your cholesterol metabolism, and statins should be a last resort. So I don't know what the true incidence of side effects is. I think that's highly controversial because on the one hand, there's a lot of controlled studies showing that it's pretty low, but on the other hand, they basically weed out anyone who would be vulnerable to side effects when they do those studies, unlike when they're prescribed where they just give them to everyone with high cholesterol. So, uh, but I, I mean, but the side effects are real. Uh, you can get serious side effects from them. The I agree that there's fairly decent evidence that they might contribute to diabetes. I don't think they're that damaging to the heart, but they do impair your synthesis of coenzyme Q10 and a specific form of vitamin K2 called MK4, as you alluded to, which... It, which is bad for the heart. So, I mean, I would, I would, if I were on a statin, which will probably never happen, but if I were on a statin, I would be using a cocktail of nutrients to try to compensate for some of those effects. I really doubt that if you take a statin and you take some vitamin K2 and some coenzyme Q10 with it, uh, I really doubt it's going to destroy your heart tissue. And, but I also think that the, the, Heart disease lowering effects of statins are also real. Are they overhyped? Yes. Are they overhyped without considering the side effects adequately? Yes. But I think there are cases where it makes sense to use the statin. And one of those cases would be, I think which you also alluded to earlier, uh, genetic disorders such as familial hypercholesterolemia. And and I think that that in that case, I don't think it necessarily means you have to have a statin. But I think it has to be a tool in your kit when you're looking at that because although I do believe that you could treat it with diet, which would be a a low-fat, low-cholesterol, high-carbohydrate diet, um, a lot of people aren't going to eat that way. And you know there are some downsides to eating that way as well because certain nutrients it gets harder to get. So I, I think that – I think that they – I am not – a hundred percent against them, but I just think they're very much overused. Yeah, same as antibiotics. <laughs> so 
it's it's so if I if if people went into their doctor uh, and the doctor said uh, we're going to do or we or we tested your cholesterol and we find it's high, what would what would be the questions that they should ask? Um, um, and if the doctor says have the statin, what would what should they say to the doctor um, before they took a statin? Um, well, I don't want to tell people what to say to their doctor, and I don't want to in tell your, people your, to, opinion, to avoid their doctor's that, yeah. advice, but I'll, I'll answer that from a different perspective. Okay. So I'll answer the question, what are the, what are the, how would I evaluate uh, my blood lipids if this were me, and what would I do about it if I thought there was cause for concern? Yeah. So first of all, yeah, so first of all, I would look at the total to HDL cholesterol ratio. I think that in someone without diabetes, where triglycerides can become more significant in the evaluation, the total to HDL cholesterol ratio is a very good indicator of future risk for heart disease and the general health uh, and speed of cholesterol metabolism. And so if the ratio is close to three, I really wouldn't be concerned unless the total were really, really high. So if the total were in great excess of 250, for example, th if it's over 300, hold on a second, I need, to, I need a sip of water. No so if, if, the, if the cholesterol were in great excess of 250, like say 280, 300, I would still be concerned. And if the total to HDL cholesterol ratio is in great excess of three, I would be concerned. So <clears throat> Excuse me. So if we get to say four, I'm not that concerned. But if we get to five, I get pretty concerned. I'm talking about a ratio. Oh, I'm sorry. And I, I, I was giving you the milligrams per deciliter. Let's see. In the UK, like we said before, let's say as you get over seven millimoles per liter, I would, I would be really concerned regardless of what your ratios are. Um, but for the ratios, the ratios are going to be the same between the US and the UK. Uh, thankfully, so as you as you get over, uh, as you get as you get further and further from three, concern increases. So five concern is pretty high. Six concern is really high. Seven concern for me is fairly off the charts. And what I would do is I would look at some diet and lifestyle factors. So first of all, is the person overweight or obese? If so, then what I would do is make efforts to lose weight and achieve a normal and healthy body weight. Does the person have high inflammatory markers? So for example, is their high sensitivity C-reactive protein high? That's a marker where it should be really low. It should be way under one. As you get over one, it starts to get concerning. If it's like five or six, you probably have Either you're sick or you have some kind of disorder that the doctor needs to follow up. But if it's if it's like 1.5 or 2, then you probably have low-grade chronic inflammation that's contributing to your cholesterol levels. You need to figure out what that is. Maybe there there are a lot of things that could that could contribute to that. Poor lifestyle itself and being overweight all can be part of that, right? So if you look at things that lower CRP losing weight if you're overweight, exercising if you're not exercising, stopping smoking if you smoke, increasing the diversity of plant foods in your diet, so eating more fruits and vegetables and more uh, more fi fibrous foods decreases your CRP. So 
all of those diet and lifestyle factors can be important for resolving inflammation, but you, you really have to work with a practitioner if you can't get it under control to test for other things. So for example, maybe your CRP is high because you have intestinal inflammation that's driving systemic inflammation and there are all kinds of problems in the gut that you know go way beyond a uh, discussion about cholesterol that if they're present could be influencing your blood lipids. So I would look at those things. If the person is eating a really high cholesterol or, or a really high fat diet, then I think that person should consider replacing fat with carbohydrate. And, and I don't mean eating sugar and I don't mean eating cake. I just mean maybe eat, maybe drink less bulletproof coffee or eat less um, stacks of butter or, and then replace or, or less added fat in general and replace that with healthy starches. So properly prepared grains, if you tolerate them well, meaning sprouted or fermented, um, starchy tubers, fruits and, and legumes and things like that. And if, and another thing, another factor that can be big is stress, right? So if you have really poor stress management, if you have a lot of emotional stress or work stress, if you are fatigued all the time, you have signs that your that your um, that your adrenals are shot, so, so to speak, in the colloquial sense. Um, any of those things need to be addressed through lifestyle changes, better sleep, meditation, stress coping mechanisms, uh, developing your circadian rhythm properly, meaning getting more regular sleep, getting more regular light exposure in the morning getting rid of the heavy blue lights from artificial lighting at night and things like that. All those different kinds of things can be important parts of what's contributing to, to poor health. And of course, the, the king of all of these is the thyroid. So if your blood lipids are way out of whack, you could have a thyroid disorder. And in fact, if you go back before the era of cholesterol-lowering drugs and before the era of seeing high cholesterol as a sign of heart disease – High cholesterol was taken as a sign of low thyroid activity, and it was the standard treatment to prescribe thyroid medicine on the basis of high cholesterol levels. Unfortunately, that practice fell by the wayside when some people were making errors in the dose and wound up killing some people with what should essentially be seen as malpractice, but that kind of, um, kind of made mainstream medicine see that practice as dangerous and it got abandoned. But it's still the case that the primary regulator of your cholesterol levels is your thyroid. And so screening for thyroid disorders can be important. Um, getting enough, getting the right nutrients that support thyroid function, especially iodine and selenium. And even carbohydrate is important for thyroid function. So again, I think that's one of several reasons why uh, if someone's eating a real high-fat diet, nothing necessarily wrong with that. But if their blood lipids are way out of whack and it looks like they're not metabolizing their cholesterol properly, I think replacing fat with carbohydrate can be beneficial both because that has a direct effect on improving cholesterol metabolism in some people and also because it can have an indirect effect by supporting your thyroid function. 100%. And this is, the, for you guys listening out there, you know... If you've been and got and you've got a test recently saying it's saying that your cholesterol is high, you'll know whether you're doing everything that Chris has mentioned there. You'll know whether you're getting enough sleep. You'll know whether you're you're overly stressed. If you're getting enough, 
you're doing any meditation or any sort of qigong, you'll know if you're eating right, um, you'll know if you're getting enough movement, exercise, hydration, you'll know, you'll know if you're doing all those things. And I'd probably say for 90-95% of you out there, if you, if you, you, and you've got this problem, you probably know that there's, there's some changes that you can make because um, generally, as you say, people are living out of, out of, uh, um, out of sync with Mother Nature's laws. And it's just it's things that we do because we're in a, in a world that's constantly on the go. We're all far too much yang, like positive energy, putting work out there, staying up late, as Chris said, they're under far too much blue light a lot of the time. Um, and all these, all these, all these things con- contribute. And wherever your genetic predisposition to disease is, especially if it comes up with heart disease, then then it's going to be a problem. So take that into uh, account, massively into account, before you start taking. As to say, as we're not, we're not, we're not doctors. We can't give medical advice. But if it was me, it's something that I'd do. Would definitely be looking at my diet and lifestyle factors first, um, as I think Chris has mentioned there. Um, Thanks a lot for that, Chris. I know you've got to go because we've been kept you for a little while here. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that before before we leave? No, I think I'm good. I would just say if people want to really follow up some places where I've kind of succinctly put my protocols for dealing with blood lipids, just Google Chris Master John Cholesterol and those things will pop right up. Yep, that's no worries. I'll be putting all that on the, uh, on the pre and the uh, post Um little intro and outro of the show so it will be good people will be there to fi- find you Chris thanks very much we want to get you because I know you've got some, a few other things that you um, you got in the pipeline at the moment aren't you doing a few different different little projects away from cholesterol yeah I, you know I, I work on all kinds of things related to health and nutrition and right now I'm doing a class on energy metabolism how we basically the for, for people who want to up their understanding at a technical level who actually do want to learn the technical stuff, even if they don't have a technical background, uh, I'm doing a class on the biochemistry of energy metabolism right now. Uh, but I also do a, a lot of other things. I have a podcast, Mastering Nutrition. Each each time I come out with an episode, it's a full d- deep dive into some topic of nutrition, always a different one. I do a lot of stuff on fat-soluble vitamins. Uh, I got something on creatine coming up shortly and uh just lots of stuff so yep. check me out we'll do and we'll try and get you uh, back on the show at a later date to try and talk about some of those things it's always interesting to check back in and see what you're doing but thank you very much chris um have a great rest of your day in new york and uh we'll, we'll uh, hopefully speak soon thanks for having me on ryan no worries mate Bye-bye. so guys that was episode 41 of the vibe Cell podcast done and dusted now I know you guys would have learned a lot from that. Um, cholesterol is such a big topic, something that everyone always talks about. Oh, my cholesterol is high. Do I need statins, HDL, LDL? And we covered a lot in that. So, as I was mentioning, if you want any more information, any more questions, give me a give me a message at www.reviveyourself.co. Or you can hit me up with an email at ryan at reviveyourself.co. Any questions for Chris, head on over to his website, chrismasterjohnphd.com. But I hope, as I said before, it's answered a lot of your questions uh, and it's meant that the, the whole fact about blood cholesterol and uh, overall cholesterol and getting scaremongering, etc., there's no need for it. Once you take care of your lifestyle, your diet, everything else falls into place. Um, so, it's a lot of good information there. As always, guys, anyone struggling with gut issues, head on over to www.reviveyourself.co and join our three, four-day mini-course. Any chronic issue, it helps with, especially gut issues can help a lot also follow us at revive underscore yourself um on instagram and we're at um facebook forward slash revive natural health as i said before 
all the articles are at www.reviveyourself.co. Lots of good episodes coming up, guys. So that's us for today. Otherwise, as always, stay happy, stay healthy, and I'll speak to you soon. If you're struggling with gut issues, such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.